This morning, I, I just want to take a little bit of time, and then Dr. Kyle is here. He's going to come, and we're going to split time this morning. I believe he's got something from the Lord, and, uh, but the Lord wants to meet us in this place, and he wants us to uh, encounter him because this is going to be a year of encounter. How many of you believe that? Now, I know we know most all the Christmas songs. You guys know them, and we sing them this time of the year. Yesterday, I heard one that I'd never heard before, and I felt like this is really kind of tells it like it is in the times we're living. It's called The Hope of Christmas by Matthew West. I'm just going to read the words. Take me back to eight years old. How many of you like to go back to eight years old? I was telling Shirley, I remember I'd sneak up and go and check out what the fat man would leave, you know, and, and, um, and he would usually leave something. And then, but take me back to eight years old, the little church on a dead-end road with a candle flicker in one hand and dad's hand in the other. Take me back to silent night. My heart was full and the world was right. Because right now the world looks nothing like those innocent Decembers. These days, peace on earth is hard to find. And I need you to remind me one more time, you're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the hope of my heart. Watch the snowflakes falling down like a blanket on this town. For a moment, we can hardly see the pain this year has brought us. May the sick find healings touch. May hatreds fight be one with love. And may every heart make room for you, the one who came to save us. Because you're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world looks dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. And you're still the hope of my heart. And anyway, I thought that's, I had to, Listen to that song a couple times, and I wanted to share that with you. Because there are a lot of things happening in the world. But there's still a lot of hope, and because that hope lives in us. I, I want you to go with me, if you would, my part this morning. I want to look in Isaiah chapter 8 and chapter 9, and I want to begin with a verse that you might wonder, why would you begin with that verse? But, but hang in there. Don't leave. Okay, it, it, uh, I promise you there's a happy ending. And um, there really is a happy ending. But look in this in verse 22 of Isaiah chapter 8. Then, say then. Now this was then, but then may be now. And it could be in the days to come. But then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Well, what a tremendous Christmas verse to read. <laughs> then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll go from there. But Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the promises that we have. We thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for the disruptions in life. 
that remind us how desperate we are for you, for your, your Holy Spirit. And we just pray, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. Lord, let everyone in this place just be filled with a, an expectancy and great hope, great just can't wait for what's about to break out. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, in verse 22, it'd be a good thing to find out the context as to why, they, why this is written. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. And when you look back in chapter 8, you find that God was telling them that judgment was on the way because of their sin. How many of you know it's still true the wages of sin is death? Nothing's been changed. When a nation sins, guess what they can expect? Death, destruction, trouble, gloom of darkness, and all these things. And what had happened is you look back in the beginning of chapter 8, there was an invasion. The Assyrian army had invaded the land. And it wasn't initially the Assyrians' idea, it was actually God's idea because he wanted to get their attention. How many of you know that it's a good thing when God gets your attention if you're going the wrong way? Now, he could just let you keep going and fall off a cliff, or he could sound the alarm, pull the rug out from under you, cause you to fall flat on your face so you'll look up to him. How many of you know that's the mercies of God? Some of you are thinking, what kind of Christmas message is this? Well, Kyle's going to come and clean it up in a moment. But anyway, you know, as you look back in, in chapter 7, in verse 17, it says, the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. So God was trying to get their attention, and he wanted them to know the seriousness of the hour. And uh, he was warning them. Now, the invasion. There's some reasons for it. There's reason why we get in trouble. And I'm just going to give you a little, just a little summary. First of all, their refusal to turn from their sin back to the Lord. How many of you know that will get you in trouble? You just refuse, even though time and time again, he's trying to get our attention. Secondly, they rejected the law of God. They rejected his word. They rejected his truth. Uh, chapter 8, verse 6 says, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh. In other words, they refused the message that God had given them. You know, there are a lot of people that misunderstand. They think if you obey the word of the Lord that you're going you're gonna to give up fun. You're going to give up something. When I was a kid, I thought if you obeyed the Lord, you'd end up going to Africa. Any of you thought that, that God would send you to Africa? Well, he sent me to Africa. I go every week, and, uh, but it's on my iPad, but it's not as bad as what I thought back in those early days. And, and people think, if I sell out to God, I'm going to have to give up something. Yeah, you're going to give up what will kill you, but you'll gain what will bring you life. How many of you found that is true? And uh, it's the Lord doesn't keep us from fun. He's trying to keep us from what will kill us. And then another reason he, was, he sent the invasion is they were seeking other gods. Uh, look in chapter 8, verse 19. 
And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. But then in verse 22, then they will look to the earth, and there's that scripture, they'll see trouble and darkness. And then another reason that God was trying to get their attention is their attempt to fix it on their own. How many of you know we can't clean up our mess without God's help in the process? And we need to not do it our way. We need to do it God's way. Now, where do you see that? Well, look in, you can see I'm trying to sum up a whole lot of things. Well, look in chapter 8, verse 8. No, chapter 9. It says, the word of the Lord. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. Verse 10, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. In other words, they were seeking to fix it themselves. Now, you know, as we come to Christmas 2023, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. How many of you noticed? This is not, you know, I wish it was Christmas like I, when I was eight years old. There were no troubles. There were no concerns. I wasn't worried about anything at eight years old. I was just concerned about whether the bicycle would be under the tree when I woke up. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? But there's stuff happening. People are being, there's a lot of trouble and anguish. I'll give you an example. Just yesterday, or was this the day before? Maybe it's the day before, but they had a new report from IHOP that came out. Did any of you see that? If you kept up with a little what's going on? And anyway, there's major revelation had come out. And so I was just thinking, God, what about all the people, the 20-year-olds, the teenagers, the 30s, people that sold out and they're leading, you know, all these prayer, houses of prayer across the earth. This has got to be a little bit disheartening, a little bit shaking, hearing about the things going on. And um, so anyway, that's one example. And then just looking at what's happening you know, I, I heard this, was it this week, one of the guys I listened to, he said that a half a million people have died in Ukraine. And, and I thought, well, Lord, it can't be that many. He just couldn't. Lord, please don't let that be true. So yesterday, I'm with someone that has a lot of connections with the Ukraine. He's ministry there. And I asked him, I didn't tell him what I'd heard. I said, would you tell me how many people have died in the Ukrainian war? He said, well, they say about a half a million people are dead. And I thought, you know, that, that confirms it. But uh, there are a lot of things happening now. There's stuff. I'm telling there's chatter going on right now about tomorrow. Maybe you're not listening. I'm supposed to listen. I, I need to have one ear, you know, open to the, what's going on. If you're going to be a watchman, you got to watch so you can sound the alarm. And so there's all kinds of warnings now, if anything happened tomorrow, you and I wouldn't be shocked, would we? Now, we'd be saddened, but we wouldn't be shocked because we know the enemy is up to doing exactly what he's up to doing. He's stealing, killing, and destroying. So it wouldn't shock us. And we know that there's all kinds of things happening, but, but it's not the end of the story. So, okay, let me get to it. You guys say, let's get on with it, right? I want to hear what's after chapter 
8, verse 22, then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they'll be driven into darkness. Now, how many of you admit there are times like that? You look around and you see only that which appears to be dark. But then, guess what? You get to read chapter 9. And at the beginning of chapter 9, what does it begin with? Nevertheless, depending on your version. So right after verse 22, they see all this darkness, gloom of anguish. Man, it looks bad. And then in chapter 9, nevertheless. How many of you are glad for nevertheless? Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed. In other words, it looked one way, but if you look a little closer, there's actually something else you need to notice. The Amplified says, but in the midst of judgment, there's the promise and the certainty of the Lord's deliverance. And then you go on, and what is the answer to the gloom and the doom and the trouble all because of sin? Well, in verse 6 of chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is what? Is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth forward even forever. And how, that, how in the world is that going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the answer is the child that was born and the son that was given. So here's how I'm going to wrap this little part up. In thinking about the times in which we're living and understanding the answer today as it was prophetically, this was a prophetic messianic passage looking toward the, the coming We look back and see the fulfillment, but the answer is still the gift that was given, the child that was given. The greatest gift this Christmas the world could receive is just to be reminded that the greatest gift has already been given. It was the son that was given, the child that was born. And God still loves the world. The world is facing some serious times, but we have the answer. And the answer is still Jesus Christ the child that was born. There's a scripture over in Hosea. They're facing judgment. And the prophet says, oh, Israel, you are destroyed. But, how many of you are glad for some buts? (laughs) Yeah, I am. But your help is from me. I will be your king and I will save you and all your cities. I wonder if God's not saying that today. So the answer is in the gift, the child that was born, the son that was given. And then this child, his government is upon his shoulder. And it's a government that's never going to come to an end. Now, I'm so glad I'm an American. I really am. I got flags. I wave my flags. My hope is not in this government, especially in this government anymore. My hope is in the government which shall know no end and is only increasing on the earth. Can you believe we're a part of a government that's it's only on the increase? Even though there may be trouble and anguish and doom of all that stuff in the world, for us, there's a promise of an ever-increasing government of God. And then the next thing is, he's a wonderful counselor. Now, this is pretty good. Last 
When was this? You ever forget what day it is? Anyway, it was last week, Sunday night, Monday morning, I don't know, but I had a dream. John, you don't mind if I use you, because I told you about it when we came to prayer Monday morning. I had a dream. John and I were in some kind of a city council meeting, and there was a lot of trouble in that city. And uh, we were trying to convince them they need to call on God. And uh, John got a little upset and walked out. I'm just telling you the way it was in my dream. He said, well, if you're not going to call on God, I'm not going to waste my time. And so I'm sitting there thinking, hey, is it against the law? We should be calling on God in this meeting. And then it's like the atmosphere changed, and they said, well, you know, you're right. I think we'll call on God. And so John comes back in my dream. He comes back in the room, and we call on God. Now, little did I know. This is how the Holy Spirit works. The very next day, right after prayer, we come to prayer Monday morning. Right after that, I get a text from my pastor buddies, and they said, there's going to be a Wilkes County Commission meeting tomorrow night, and they need you to come and support this proclamation that the Wilkes County Board of Commissioners, they want to proclaim over Wilkes County, basically, that we trust in God. It was called this Christian heritage proclamation or something like that. And they said, the other side is going to show up. So we need a couple of our pastors to show up and, you know, speak and defend. And so I did. I said, well, I'll speak. I'll, I'll get up. And I did. And I thanked the county commission. But in other words, it wasn't like the dream. They didn't have to be convinced. They were calling on God and it passed unanimously. And it was in the front page of the paper. And I was amazed. I said, you know, that is amazing, Holy Spirit, how you prepared me for that. You told me about it. But the difference was we were calling on God. And I'm telling you, he's a wonderful counselor. It would be better to seek the wisdom of God before you get in some of the messes you get into. God's wisdom will always tell us the problem, but always show us the solution. If it just told us the problem, that, what kind of wisdom is that? There's always an answer. And then he's a mighty God. Say he's a mighty God. I don't know if I've reminded you lately, but we used to always remind the guys that, you know, our God is good. Just say he's good. In fact, he's gooder than good. He's way better than good. He is great. You remember when we were small, they had this commercial. Maybe they still do, Tony the Tiger. It's great. Surely won't let me eat Frosted Flakes anymore. But, but uh, anyway, I used to. And it was great. And, but God is good. God is great. But he's God. And he's going to prove himself. But he's the mighty one. Say he's a mighty God. He's mightier than the mightiest. And in whatever happens in 2024, we got to keep that in our spirit. He is a mighty God. He's not working from underneath this thing. He's working from on top. He's exalted. And uh, anything that happens, it's got to come through the, the filter of the Most High God. Even the Syrian invasion. The Syrians didn't wake up one day and say, well, we're going to invade Israel. We're going to invade the people of God. No, there was a purpose. Because God wanted to get their attention to turn them back to him. And then he's an everlasting father. Everlasting father. I cannot for the life of me understand when I hear stories of fathers that have deserted their children. 
or they, you know, they just, they've gone AWOL. I just couldn't imagine. How many of you couldn't imagine that? That's not even in our vocabulary, but there are many like that. I, I remember hearing Reggie White. How many of you remember? He was the, the sack leader. I think someone maybe broke his record, but in the NFL, and he was a good friend of Morningstar. He had a house here in the neighborhood, and uh, someone else lives in the house now, but, uh, but Reggie, he had a ministry where he would go down the street in the inner city of Philadelphia and minister to the kids. And he asked them one time, he said, what, what could we most do for you? What do you need more than anything else? You know what they told Reggie? We need fathers. We need fathers. And that's what Reggie White became in the inner city of Philadelphia. And that's what we're called to be. But our God, our Father, will never desert us. He's never going to desert. And then the Prince of Peace. And I'm telling you, he is a Prince of Peace. This peace ain't going to happen in any other way except for the Prince of Peace to show up. And he's about to show up. Of the increase of his government and the increase of his peace. Come on up here, Kyle. There shall be no end. No end. Come on. Welcome, Kyle. I want him to take it from here. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel appeared to the Virgin Mary... There's no description of her initial reaction, but we might imagine it was shock and fear, right? He told her she would have a son. Mary said, how can that be since I'm a virgin? He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy One who's to be born will be called the Son of God. He also told her name, told her the name, which would be Jesus, that he would be great that the Lord would give him the throne of his ancestor David, that he would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. So that was the backdrop. Here's how the birth occurred, reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, verses 1 to 20. The word of the Lord does not return void, right? I like a good story, don't you? So let's, let's hear this story. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Besides what we just read, there's more detail about Jesus' birth scattered throughout the Scripture. There are the Old Testament prophecies of His birth. There's the account of His birth in Matthew. But what we just read from Luke 2 is maybe the most widely known passage. Speaking of prophecies of the birth, there's one in Genesis that probably you've never heard preached. You know, prophecies come in various forms. Hebrews 1.1 says that the prophets of the Old Testament spoke in various ways. Straightforward prophecy was one of those ways, such as when Isaiah said the virgin would conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, Isaiah 7.14. And for another straightforward prophecy, the one that Pastor David just put up there, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. And there are many more straightforward prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' birth, but there's another variation on prophecy. It's one of the various ways the Old Testament prophets spoke called foreshadowing. For example, in the book of Genesis, there's a long and winding story of the life of Jacob. The course of Jacob's life mirrored the course of Jesus' life in many striking details. We don't have time to get into all that because it goes on chapter, chapter after chapter, but we, but we do have time for one little snippet. It's the story of Benjamin's birth. It foreshadows the birth of Christ, meaning there are certain elements surrounding Benjamin's birth that would, that would be repeated when Christ was born. The striking thing about the story of Benjamin is the tragedy of it. It points us to the tragedy of Jesus' birth. We don't usually think of Jesus' birth as a tragedy. On the contrary, the angel told the shepherds, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And God doesn't intend for us this morning to get all wrapped up in sadness on Christmas Eve. In the story we're about to read, the Holy Spirit brushes by the sadness because he wants us to notice it but not dwell on it. So let's take notice of it. God's too smart to tell one story at a time. He te when he tells something simple, we can often detect something more profound beneath it. The parables are an example. Some of them were about sheep or seeds on the surface, but underneath sheep were people and the seed, the Word of God. And as simple as they were, Many of the crowd still didn't get it. So let's get it this morning that this story is about Benjamin, but underneath 
on a more profound level, it's about the coming of Jesus. It's not a parable because parables are fiction with reality underneath. The story about Benjamin is nonfiction, and the story of Jesus underneath is also nonfiction. It's a double dose of reality. The only reason to bring up this tragedy is because it tells us how much God loves us. It tells us the effort that the father and son put out to make this birth happen, what they sacrificed to make it happen. Let's remember as the Holy Spirit reveals to us how sacrificial this was, the depth of the sacrifice equals the heights of His love for us. The Father wouldn't have provided the sacrifice of the Son, and the Son wouldn't have offered Himself as a sacrifice had they not expected a great return from it. The sacrifice was costly to the Father and Son. They only did it because the result was worth it to them to bring good tidings of great joy to us that we will be joined with them in eternal life. So let's brace ourselves for the sacrifice as we read Genesis 35, verses 16 to 20. It's the birth of Benjamin, but underneath it's the birth of Christ. It'll be right here on the screen. Verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. They, in verse 16, is Jacob's family. They were at Bethel, which means house of God, and they were journeying toward Ephrath, which is another name for Bethlehem. You don't have to take my word for it. Verse 19 coming up is going to confirm it that Ephrath and Bethlehem are the same place. Ephrath means fruitful. Bethlehem means house of bread. I think you know that the son was with the father from the beginning. So to come here to earth, to be born of the virgin, the son had to come from where? He came from the house of God, which is Bethel. And his coming was fruitful, which is Ephrath. He became the bread of life, which is Bethlehem. Also in verse 16, Rachel had hard labor. She's about to bring forth Benjamin. The hard labor should remind us of how hard it was for the father to send the son to sacrifice himself and how hard it was for the son to commit to it. Just how hard, we'll get a better idea in a minute. But still in this verse and thinking about the story underneath, what other mother do we know who was traveling south toward Bethlehem when she was great with child? That would be Mary. Rachel didn't quite get to Bethlehem. As the verse says, there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. We should, we should read between the lines here and realize that there was but a little way to go in history until Jesus would be born. So Rachel went into labor there on the way, as the verse says. All they could do was stop and set up camp along the side of the road. And in the story beneath, who else was born at a campsite because there was no room in the inn? That would be Jesus. Going on to verse 17. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you'll have this son also. Okay, do not fear. Isn't that what the angels told the shepherds? Because a male child had been born. And the midwife said, you'll have this son also. 
So at the moment she said that, Benjamin wasn't quite born yet. Read it closely. The baby wasn't born yet, but the midwife knew it was a boy already. How did she know it was a boy? I've delivered a few babies myself because as an anesthesiologist, I was in the hospital most of the time, spent a lot of time in OB. Sometimes the obstetrician couldn't get there fast enough. But it doesn't take a doctor to know that since the midwife in verse 17 knew the baby had male parts, but the baby wasn't completely out yet, this was a breech birth. There was still more work to do on the part of the mother, which is why the midwife encouraged her. She said, you will have this son also. Rachel had already had Joseph, so the midwife was saying, don't worry, you'll be successful with this one just like you were with the last one. I don't know if Jesus was breech or not, but a breech birth is high risk. There with Rachel on the side of the road with, with a failure to progress in labor, with a breach presentation and no such thing as a C-section in those days. This is looking pretty scary. Now verse 18. And so it was as, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died in childbirth. She was the love of Jacob's life. It was love at first sight in Genesis 29. Jacob worked 14 years of hard labor to get Rachel, 14 years. That's how much he loved her. Maybe 80 years later, can't calculate it exactly, when Jacob was on his deathbed, he was still talking about Rachel and how she died on the side of the road, Genesis 48, 7. I'm guessing he never got over it because he told Pharaoh, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, Genesis 47, 9. Rachel also left behind her young son, Joseph, in addition to the new baby, but let's not dwell on the tragedy because it's Christmas. And any time of the year, God wouldn't have us dwell on tragedy because the message of Christianity is triumph and the defeat of death. So let's just realize here the cost of bringing Benjamin forth. The cost of it was death. And the cost of bringing Christ forth into the earth was death as well because to be born is to eventually die. Heaven was heartbroken at the death of Jesus as shown by the fact that while he was on the cross, it was dark for three hours in the middle of the day. And as shown by a separate foreshadowing story that when David lost his son, Absalom, he was crushed. David cried out, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. We know that was a foreshadowing of Christ's death because Absalom had died on a tree after being pierced through three times with three spikes. In Genesis 37, there's yet another foreshadowing of God the Father's anguish over the son's death. When Jacob thought Joseph died, he was inconsolable. He told his other sons and daughters that he'd never get over it. He said, 
I'll go to my grave still mourning. Genesis 37, 35. These are all foreshadowings of how much it hurt the Father God to send Jesus for crucifixion. And the anguish at the birth was because they both knew the crucifixion was coming. The crucifixion was already set in heaven. It was, quote, foreordained before the foundation of the world, 1 Peter 1.20, which is why the sending of Jesus was so tragic to the Father the day the Son was born. So the cost of bringing Jesus forth into the earth was his death. That death was the cost of our redemption. Rachel's death was a foreshadowing of the cost. No one pays a high cost for anything unless it's worth it. To the Father and Son, our redemption was worth the labor, the pain, the travail, the loss, and the sorrow. So how costly was Rachel's death? What would Jacob have paid to get her back? What would Joseph have paid to get her back when he was the rich Lord of Egypt? What would Benjamin have paid to get her back when he got older? They would have given everything. That's how much we cost to God. He paid everything to get us back. Now, about the two names of the baby in verse 18, this is how we really know that this is about Jesus underneath. As Rachel was fading away, she named the boy Benoni, which in translation from Hebrew to English is son of my sorrow. Son of my sorrow. That was the name she gave the boy. The name indicated that Rachel was sorry to leave the boy and sorry to leave Joseph and Jacob. She wanted that name to stick so that every time someone called the boy by his name, he would be reminded that his mother loved him and that she was sorry she wasn't there for him. Let's be reminded in this that God loves us. If any of us has lost a parent when we were very young or as adults we've lost a child or we've lost a soulmate, maybe we can begin to understand what Jesus is coming cost the father. The sorrow in this story was a foreshadowing of what it would cost to send Jesus. There was great sorrow in heaven over it. And still in verse 18, as soon as Jacob found out what Rachel had named the boy, he changed the name to Benjamin. He didn't want to dwell on sadness. So the name was Benoni, son of my sorrow, for just a very short time. But the name Benjamin was from that point and forever. And what's Benjamin in English? Son of the right hand. Try to tell me that son of my sorrow and son of the right hand aren't Jesus. Jesus was son of my sorrow until he said, it's finished. And ever after, he was the son of the right hand of God. At least 44 times the Old and New Testaments in the Old and New Testaments, Jesus is son of the right hand. His position at the right hand of the Father is an indication of his power and honor. So at least 44 times he's Benjamin in the Bible, son of the right hand. Only once in the Bible, to my knowledge, is Jesus Benoni, son of my sorrow, or man of sorrows, which is in Isaiah 53, 3. 44 plus times he's Benjamin. Now, verses 19 and 18, 
So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Okay, Jacob set a pillar on her grave. It was probably a long stone that he set upright as a memorial to Rachel. So let's us here in this room memorialize Rachel as well. And remember what it cost to bring forth Benjamin. It was the cost of death, which is exactly what it cost to bring forth Christ. Let's mostly remember that that's how much value God places on us. He valued us so much. He sent his son as a great cost to himself. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Pastor. Amen. We're just going to have some time of worship. These guys are coming back, but we're going to have our ministry team around the front. And uh, how many of you need, you got a big need today, physical, spiritual, something you, listen, our God is greater than that. He is going to show himself strong on behalf of his people. And if you're here without a savior, this is the season and time that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And if you're watching online, this is the time to reach out to him. And he's drawing already. He's the, he took the initiative. 2,000 years ago, he took the initiative. But he's still drawing people today. There's a child that was born. There's a son that was given. And so we want to just pray. And then you guys, we just wish you a Merry Christmas. But uh, let somebody pray with you today. Don't leave out without uh, letting someone pray in agreement. Father, we thank you for this time, this season, this Christmas. Lord, we just speak blessing over the people, but we thank you, Lord, that you're a God that does the impossible, that there's nothing that you can't do as we look up to you. We thank you the greatest gift was given, your son. Thank you for salvation. Lord, we pray right now for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to move on the hearts of people here and online, that there would be many that would turn to heaven, turn to your son, receive salvation. Lord, we thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders. You're a mighty God, and we give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.